With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Thanks for being a part of the Fearless Army. Drop us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, and when you do, ask me a question in the comments. Each week, we'll compile your best questions and answer them on air. Welcome. Welcome to Fearless with Jason Whitlock. I am Jason Whitlock, your host. Happy Friday. Special edition of Fearless with Jason Whitlock today. It's going to be me, you, and Sage Steele, I would say for at least 90 minutes, <laughs> maybe two hours, maybe two and a half hours. Grab your tissue. I may cry. Uh, I may, Sage may cry. Who knows what's going to happen? We're uh, sitting down with Sage Steele today to have the discussion we previewed for you yesterday during the cookout show. Uh, I've been looking forward to this conversation because I think there's a conversation that needs to be had about uh, SAGE that connects to bigger issues that are affecting the country and culture just everywhere abroad. And a lot of that conversation is along the lines of race. We're, we're being racially divided and divided in every way possible. And, and you've heard me, I think, earlier this week, I, I told you guys that, and, and I'll do it even in more in depth next week, but this conversation we're having today connects with what I was telling you guys about. We've moved away from placing an importance on shared values and placing importance on so-called diversity. D- diversity is overrated. Shared values are what made the country great. And so when I think about the generations before, I'm 56, I think about the generations before me, particularly as it relates to black people, we all wanted to basically live the American dream. We all wanted to, uh, we all valued our citizenship. We all were, for lack of a better word, you guys know I don't like the word pride, but we were all proud of being Americans. We had shared values. That, that we could come together on and promote the country and, and find common ground in those shared values. But once everything gets reduced to skin color and sexuality and all this other stuff that we call diversity, uh, we lose those shared values. We, we lose the importance of, of having shared values. And now everything's just like, hey, what color you are? And I make every decision based on that or what's, what's your sexuality, what's your gender, what pronouns. Anyway, a lot of this, I think, connects to a conversation Sage and I uh, will have today. And so uh, sit back, kick back, because we're going to be here a minute. Sage, of course, has parted ways from ESPN. Uh, to some degree, Sage, people are framing the departure 
along political lines, but I think it's a bit deeper than that, and I'm sure you do as well. Why did you depart from ESPN? When you decide to file a lawsuit to sue your company, you know it's probably going to end <laughs> sooner rather than later. Um, so I think that may, maybe the question is why did why you know why did you I'm not putting words in your mouth, yeah. but I cool. knew at that point I was going to be leaving. Yep. Right. It was a matter of not if but when. The, the hardest decision was: Do I take this stand? Do I stand up and file a lawsuit against the company that I've loved and Disney as well? So that was a mass. <laughs> that was really scary, Jason, um, because not only is it my place of employment, where then of course I filed it and was going to work every single day on those airwaves while suing the company, which was a unique situation to say the least. How long ago did that? How long did that go on? How when did you file the lawsuit? April twenty eighth, twenty twenty two. So. For more than a year, you worked at a place. Sixteen that, months. And and that how tough was that? <laughs> or how hostile was that? You know, we never had gotten back. I gotta quit saying we, don't I? I have to work <laughs> on that. Uh, ESPN never really got back to full capacity after COVID. So that was probably one of the very few silver linings of them saying nobody come to work, essential personnel only, because for the better half of two years, the better portion of two years, we were, I was writing my show from home, uh, getting makeup at home, all of the above coming in. I was on the noon show the last couple of years, which I loved with Matt Berry, who was one of the few great teammates there um, and super talented and underappreciated for damn sure. But I'd get there at 1145 for a 12 o'clock show, walk in, put your mic on, plug in, do two hours in my car by 205 and out. So I hated it because I'm a people person and love being together with my teammates. And that was hard with COVID to not be able to have that, which does matter when you go on the air and you're trying to have that chemistry. But I think that probably helped during this time, the tougher legal time, because I wasn't seeing anybody anyway. And so I didn't go to the cafeteria where we all used to hang out because it was closed for a good portion of the time. And so I didn't see people. I didn't feel as much. I mean, when I got back from being suspended, and ESPN doesn't like to call it a suspension, but I was suspended. I was taken off the air. You can be suspended without pay or with pay. I was still paid. That's why they don't like it. But it was a suspension. I was punished in that way as well as other, other ways. I was very scared to go back in because, and I was in a different mind frame then, but I, I was so upset that I thought I had maybe hurt people with my comments, even though I can't control how people receive them, they are people that I cared about. And so I didn't want them to be hurt. Not one came and asked me a question. That's kind of the thing, no questions. Well, what did you mean by this or what? And, and so I, I left it and went to work. For, for our audience, because they're sports fans, obviously I'm a sports fan, but there's a lot of political people here. Walk us through the comments and the lawsuits. Like give us the background for the audience so they can understand in full. I went on the Jay Cutler podcast, which I don't think exists anymore. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and they, he and his team did some good research on topics that I'd spoken about publicly in the past, uh, in particular on, on The View back in 2014, which of course is also owned by Disney, ABC, ESPN. We're all related here. Well. And... 
Jay asked me about three topics in particular that, that upset people. The in chronological order was about women and women in sports and how I viewed our role. Because when I started in 1995, it was a very different world, very different. And um, there, I was one of one in the locker rooms quite often for many years. And in that, I mean, I had, for the majority of the time, incredible experiences. 99% of those athletes were great, no issues. I can't speak for other women's issues, but for me it was great and there was a lot of respect there going both ways. But I, I do have opinions on how, as women, we present ourselves. And by the way, that is everywhere in every part of society, um, no matter where you work. And so I feel very strongly that we, okay, men, and this is what I said in the podcast, men need to be better. Men need to not make women feel uncomfortable. Even if we're in men's spaces, we don't need hooting and hollering. And I can see you looking me up and down and undressing me. Let's stop, be better. And women, we are really smart. We know exactly what we're doing, what we're wearing, when and why. So to me, I think there's some unwritten rules maybe about how we need to go into a locker room environment in particular, as well as a suite, a C-suite. So, do you remember when Tony Kornheiser got in trouble for commenting, I believe, on Hannah Storms? I, I was, yes, working uh, alongside Hannah at that time. I remember that very clearly. And he was he was punished. Right. And so some people would say like, hey, they did that to Kornheiser. And so maybe they're saying, hey, don't talk about women's appearance. Even, even that applies to you. And I know totally different. Completely context. different. Um, so to me, the interesting part was that the, the, the correlation there, if there's yeah. a comparison, is that what did Tony do? He criticized a fellow employee and was taken off the air for two weeks. And I, I, I don't know what yeah. the parameters were of that. So you can't criticize. There's no ESPN on ESPN crime. That's what that was. So then you fast forward to my situation. And then when my peers were allowed to publicly criticize me on social media everywhere for weeks and weeks and weeks and months in some cases, and it was brought to management's attention and they allowed that, that's the comparison. That's the double standard there. So uh, back to the women part, I just think that we are great and we know what we're doing. And that's why I say I have two daughters, 21 and 17. So I'm very sensitive to how we as women present ourselves because I'm a mama bear. And I'm like, um, where are you going with that top? Why? Okay, lift it up, lower the skirt, whatever it is. And they're wonderful, very appropriate young women, but styles have changed since I was starting off. And to me, I said, listen, okay, I'm looking at you too. Like when you're showing that, I'm looking, much less men. So, so don't be surprised if there's eyeballs when you are intentionally wearing something. So that was, the, that was the comment that they didn't like about women. And I stand by that because we know what we should be wearing and when, and we know our why. We are, we are brilliant. Sorry. There's no, I completely agree with you. And, and again, we're going to get back because you made comments about vaccines and you made comments. That was the first one that people overlooked, but I got blown up by women in the industry gotcha. and outside. Because I want to dwell on this for a second, though, but I, obviously we're going to talk about COVID and vaccines and then Obama and the racial stuff. But I want to show you... Uh, a picture from last night's game of Maria Taylor. Uh, I don't know if you've seen this. Uh, you know, we were busy last night or whatever, but this is Maria Taylor uh, last night at Sunday Night Football. She's pregnant. She's got some kind of short outfit on. This is how she, and, and so 
I don't think she's trying to be sexually provocative, but I do think that outfit is trying to draw attention to Maria Taylor. Why? The color. There's other pictures uh, of this. The the, color, the people were, I, I forget some of the jokes and memes that were on social media, but a, a short set to Thursday night football, NFL kickoff. Again, and I don't think she's trying to be sexually provocative. I do think she's trying to, draw attention to herself. And that's what I see. I think guys do it sometimes as well with their outfits that they choose to be on TV. But I, I see it a lot, I think, with women now. It, it, it's, they're not there to cover the game. Everybody, men and women, everybody's just there to enhance their brand. How can I go viral? What can I wear or what can I say? What can I do that will make me go viral and make me be part of the story and not the game. That's what bothers me. I think Maria looks great there. I love the color. I love the suit. Don't know that I have her legs and could get away with it. <laughs> um, she's, I'm 5'11", yep. barefooted. She's, I think she's 6'1". 6'2", I think. Is yeah, yep. to play volleyball. So uh, I'll say as a tall woman, yep. it is hard to find outfits that fit. And um, she has great legs and has worked hard. Um, I, I think she looks great. Didn't know she was pregnant. Congratulations to Maria. Welcome to the coolest club, hardest club ever. But uh, I, I think she looks great um, and would never try to figure out someone else's intentions. Styles have changed. Um, she's a lot younger than me, too. I mean, I, I think that all that plays into it. Um, I, I think specifically in locker room situations, that's that's a very different place. Yeah, well, um, And I've moved the conversation and, and you're. I think you can move it back. I'm not yeah. complaining. We can, but but I'm, I'm just follow your lead because right. that, that was one of the three topics that got me in trouble, and I will I will stand by my opinion on on what we wear and why forever. Absolutely, but but in this conversation, I just want to the ground rules are I could care less. I, let's remove the cameras and yeah. just talk like friends. Hey, For we got sure. two hours to kill, and we can talk about anything. And if we get sidetracked on something or you want to go down a different path, I could care less. Yeah. So. But, but I, I, what, what, what do you think of my contention that, and it's not just women, but I just think I see men doing it a lot of times with what they say and or what they dress. It's the power of this social media thing and the power of everybody concerned about their individual brand is dictating the behavior sure. more so than like it's Thursday night football. I want people talking about the game and the athletes not my legs, not, I, not listen, my I, clothes. I agree, but I, I do think that this is a, a much bigger issue. Number one, when you look at the coverage of NBA games and pregame coverage, whether it's on ESPN or ABC or TNT, um, NBA TV, all of them, what do we do now? We take that, that shot of them walking in the tunnel yeah, beforehand. Yeah, fashion show. And now it is a fashion show, and most of them look ridiculous. Um, but... Who's is it? What came first, the chicken or the egg? You know, was it them dressing like that? And we said, oh, we got to get that on camera or we start putting the cameras there and they realize the opportunity and the endorsements and all the things that come from it. So I don't know which came first, but we as the media have created it, in my opinion. Also, when I started, there were no self aging ourselves, right? Yeah. The Internet was barely a thing. I mean, I was yeah. playing fantasy baseball in 1995 or 96. And I had to get out a newspaper and go to the box scores and have a calculator to tally up my score. So, I mean, yes, <laughs> I'm old, right? Yeah. But 
That's the beauty of it too, is we were focused just on the sport itself. No one was taking my picture, there were no cell phones, and I didn't really care what I was wearing. I didn't, I mean, I had to, it's like, okay, with my skin color, with my hair, the brighter jewel tones look better on me than a pastel, fine, it matters for cameras, and it's a, it's a visual medium, but otherwise, I, I miss the days when there was no social media. It has changed our society in every way. And as a mother of three kids, I'm heartbroken over what has happened. And, and it's remember when we were little, it was, oh, go outside and play. You're bored, go play. Don't come back before the sun goes down. Like those days are over. So I would love to backtrack and go back to that time because it was just about that, but it's not going anywhere. So our, our question is, what, what do we do with it? Um, I do think, and I'm a really optimistic glass half full person, that you're not putting the toothpaste back in the tube. Like we are where we are and there's too much money in it for everyone for them to stop posting certain pictures, right? Now, hello, I do it too. If you don't, you're left behind. There's money on the table where you're not gonna get an endorsement or, and they ask you, I mean, certain jobs. Let's check their social media following. That's the first thing anyone says, and it's always driven me crazy. And again, I'm probably some old, fat, fuddy-duddy, and 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 I recognize I have a unique skill. I can craft arguments that will provoke and pay my bills. Uh, other people, that's not their skill, and so they use the skills that they have. Mm -hmm. And 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 Mar Maria Taylor is beautiful. Mm -hmm. I mean, she's beautiful. She's maybe the most attractive six foot two woman. And there's a lot of them, but I think she's beautiful. And so I get, she's got, I'm not that. So I'm not going to go on TV and be, you know, someone who goes viral because of the way that I look. Uh, and, and so maybe I can't knock her and others for that, but, but it is it's just a different generation. Yeah, it's, it is different. And, but I do think that you can be relevant and attractive and professional. I don't think you have to choose one or the other. And that's why I tell my girls, that's what I try to do too. And I remember um, when I was when I was married, I'm divorced now, but when I was married, I, I was always so respectful of, of how my husband felt. Like, okay, this dress is fitted and it's fitted, but it's to my knees. Are you comfortable with me? Because I feel good, but I want to be respectful. And I appreciate his opinion as a guy, a guy's guy, right? Yep. So how, are you good if I'm wearing this? Or maybe it's a little shorter, but it's a long sleeve and it comes up to my neck. Like to me, there's a way to do this. Um, and again, to be attractive and maybe even sexy, but professional. I, I think it's possible. No, it is possible. And this takes me to, I look, and again, maybe I'm an old fuddy-duddy, but I look at yourself, I look at Hannah Storm, I look at Linda Cohn, uh, and there's others. I'm, I even look at Doris Burke. Like, I can enjoy listening to you all talk sports and host show. And I, this other generation, to me, this younger generation, again, and I'm sure I'm just sounding like, old, oh, get off my lawn. They just don't bring that substance. The conversation we had last night that you participated in, I don't think most of these other people can do that. And, and I, 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 I think they lean into the woke stuff, the dishonest stuff, the on brand and their looks. And, and I see it guys and girls. I, I, I see it across the, and it just, it drives me crazy 
But I, I'm more- I always tell people, the youngsters who, who might ask me, college age, um, who want, want to do this, I'm like, okay, why? Give me your why. And never forget your why of why you wanted to get into this. Um, if it is because you want to meet cool people and celebrities, and okay, good luck. Because people can see right through that pretty quickly. I, I, you, you just took me to a great point. Or I'm going to put women on the sidelines and show you this is about Ryan Clark, former athlete. He, he tweeted out last week an apology. Uh, he, he criticized someone, cracked a joke about Tua, put out an apology. And he said, when I got into this business, th these are my two priorities. And it, everything had to do with athletes, coaches, executives and staff. Not, not one thing he said had to do with anything with serving fans. And that's the thing that when I look at Maria Taylor and her legs out, that's not about serving sports fans. That's about serving her and how the athletes are going to receive her and all that other stuff. And then I listen to Ryan Clark. And, and that's what drives me crazy about ESPN. Their motto is serving sports fans anytime, anywhere. And the last thing they seem to do now is serve sports time, sports fans anytime, anywhere, to the point that Ryan Clark is comfortable putting out a statement like, hey, the things I'm interested in are serving coaches, executives, staff, and something else that had nothing to do with fans. That's my problem. I think it's always fascinating to watch athletes try to transition to then being an analyst and do so with journalistic integrity because you are one of us. Now, you're not necessarily asking the questions, you're not the Sports Center host, for example, but you are now part of this and you have to be really honest and I think it's very difficult for them to put all that aside and those relationships with the coaches and the executives aside and be really honest. And there's ways to do it, but I think it's very difficult. Um, all I can speak on, because there's certain people who I really don't ever care to talk about or with or to ever again. Um, all I can say is I look back and through some ups and downs in my career, my why from the beginning was to tell stories and to try to share. And again, I never, I didn't come from being a professional athlete. I was in awe of, of the best of the best and how you can train your whole life for this one moment. It's the 100 meter dash at the Olympics and your whole life has been to this moment, you have one shot. How do you contain all that and go be great at that one time? And I thought, man, if I can, if I can learn from that athlete and, and share that story, like the beauty of, of sports, that's what that is. It isn't just winning and losing, right? And sports brings people together. I'm not saying my goal was right or wrong, but that was my why, which happened to be my fascination with it. But let's share that because I think we can take those lessons into corporate America, into parenting, all of these things. So a lot of people, I, I find it interesting their why for being involved. Mine happens to be to tell stories and still is, and hopefully that can continue. Um, but sometimes it does, it comes across in the way People do their jobs, the way they analyze people, where they cannot put um, their personal opinions aside, maybe an experience they had with a coach or a different teammate aside, and then give a really honest opinion, because that's what we owe the viewers, the people who are paying our bills. We owe them that, and not just to protect our, our boy over here. You know, What is the truth? Give me the X's and O's, because that's the why you're an analyst. You're in a place where I've never been. 
as a professional athlete, take me in that, take me in that moment. And we don't need, we don't need this. And we don't need to be as concerned. Everybody's concerned about what their peers are thinking. And that's something that I don't care if you're an athlete or not. It is something I think throughout society where we're so concerned about what everybody else thinks. And I was for a long time too. There's a real freedom in letting go of that. And once you've, once you are unafraid of being disliked because you're speaking the truth, whether it's in your job analyzing Chiefs-Lions game or just your own truth, when you let go of that, man, it's powerful, but most people aren't willing to let go. So I want to go to your comments about Barack Obama and the biracial thing because I want to get into the racial aspect of this discussion. And, and it sound, you said there's people you don't want to talk about or things, and that takes me there because I think you had a very unique experience at ESPN being so high profile and being biracial and choosing to say you're biracial yeah. and not adopt all the pre-approved talking points that black people are supposed to have. Uh, when did that, because you were at ESPN for nearly 20 years? 16. 16 years. I can't imagine that, was a, that wasn't a problem for all 16 years. When did it become a problem? And, and when, what, why, did it, why do you think things changed on a dime so bad where you being biracial now is some massive problem and you're not black enough and seems probably jammed up your relationship with a lot of your peers and coworkers. Yes. Or is yours? Social media. <laughs> it goes back to social media. And, you know, we were encouraged. Not, not you know, that wasn't the rule, but by ESPN, get on Twitter. This is 0809. Get on Twitter. Get on Twitter. And I, there's a couple people I think John Anderson never did. A few people never did. And they're like, I'm not doing that. Who cares what I think? And, you know, I was younger and like, okay, I'll do whatever you say and did it. And then... That evolved. I mean, look at the look at how Twitter has evolved in ten years. Excuse me, X, whatever. Um, and through that time, I continued to rise, I guess, through the ranks and doing different jobs that were more and more high profile. So then, what I said was more noticeable through the years. Um, for me, I think it really took off. I want to say it was twenty. It was twenty sixteen. It was right after the election um, when Trump One. shockingly beat Hillary. And I remember all of the people, the athletes, who were upset about it and kneeling and just throwing a fit about what just happened in that election. And ESPN had tweeted a soundbite from Bucks receiver Mike Evans, who I've always been a huge fan of and always will be. Like, what a player, right? Uh, and tweeted something from him, a soundbite in the locker room after, it was the Sunday after the election, and so he had knelt, I think, before or during the national anthem. And, and I retweeted what my company had tweeted. And he was mad because Trump was in office. And I realized that he didn't even vote. So go ahead. I say this to everybody, to my kids, whatever. Bitch and moan about all of it. But if you didn't vote, I don't want to hear it. Because then it's kind of on you if the results ended up this way, a way that you didn't like, you know? And so I just, and I didn't say that in my tweet, I should have, you know, that part of it, but respect the process. And the process has certainly changed, unfortunately, since 2016, but, but, but you're going to complain after what a democratic process is and voting and then kneel, and that's your right, but it's just, I don't have respect 
if anyone. Why jump into that fight, though? Why? why? Well, my network, ESPN put it out there. So it was a sports story. It was, but and you so, can pick and choose what you talk about oh, over Twitter. Oh, I had been. There's a lot of things I stayed silent about I know. for many, and so many years. Why so hop into at this At that one? moment, I think it was where we were, and it was so – people were going crazy, if you recall, in 2016. I know. Going crazy. You did, you did know it was high risk, though, as I'm asking. I, I, I did, but I, I didn't think – I will admit to never, even now, fully comprehending how many people knew who I was and watched because three, for years, I had to block it out in order to be myself on TV. If I started to think about millions of people, when I would host the coverage for the NBA Finals, and there's 30 million people watching on ABC, if I think about that, I would run off the set. Like, I still would get nervous every single time, up to my very last day at ESPN, healthy nerves. But if you think about the magnitude of what you're doing, to me, for me, I wouldn't be able to execute my job. So I never appreciated it. And so to, to answer your question, it was like, oh, first of all, everybody's commenting on it. everybody at my company and they're dying and let's all move to Canada or Africa or wherever else because the U.S. is going to blow up with Donald Trump. So to me, it was I'm one of many because all my peers were doing it. And and it was just, hey, you, half the country is always ticked off about the results. So I, I knew it was I, I didn't look at it as risky. I looked at it as looked at it as me um, having an opinion, just like all my peers. Yeah, I don't think what you did was wrong. I'm just trying to figure out in 27 years ago, did you did you not know like, oh wow, this no, could I was put me in the cross here. No, I was floored, I naive for sure. I was floored at how big it got. But because he is a black man, a man of color, I don't know his full background, biracial, mm -hmm. mm -hmm. um, whatever, because he's a black man, um, then therefore I, this is what the issue was, therefore I was apparently viewed as speaking out against another black man as a woman of color, mm -hmm. and that's a no-no. Well, if if Linda Cohn had done it, she would have got it trashed as racist as well. So it doesn't matter, black or white, if you had criticized Mike Evans for taking a knee over Trump's election or whatever he was taking a knee over, you're either a racist or you're a sellout. Yeah, and I've, yeah, I, I had already been deemed a sellout by some at that point. Yeah. Um, so I think there was that was adding some fuel to the fire. Like, oh, see, see, she is a sellout. Oh, see, she she does hate her black side. Look, she's criticizing another black man. Like, um, people take it. People really yep. jump. <laughs> yep. And so the, the other thing you did on the Jay Cutler because you guys talked about it in terms of Barack Obama. And so talking about Barack Obama for a black public figure in any sort of negative way, that's high risk as well. And so is there, again, you're- So you're wondering if I'm, if I'm trying to poke the bear here. Yeah, because again, for me, it's my job to sure. be involved in controversy. I'm a columnist or I was for a long time, pundit, opinionist. It's people expect me to jump into these fires. Sports, an anchor, uh, they got a choice to pretend like they're not even aware that this stuff is going on. No, Sage Steele's not required to have an opinion on this stuff, but but she's making a choice. That to me, it's like no, Sage Steele wants to be out here and be in the fight. Box a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Is that not accurate? It literally was not. And again, I will admit some naivety there. We're just. Um, 
thinking I'm not talking about Mike Evans. I'm talking about even the Barack Obama. Yeah. You're um, not thinking that you're ta- uh, you're talking about Barack Obama. He he's uh, <laughs> he's, he's Obama. He's a, he's an idol in this society. The, the key is the history about, behind the comments, which happened originally in 2014. 2014, very different time. He was president. I was on The View. Barbara Walters specifically asked me on live TV about why is it important for me to, to say I'm biracial versus just black, and then pointed out the example of, well, our president, Barack Obama, says he's black. And I said in 2014, pretty much what I said in 2021, okay, congratulations to him. Like he, and I said this, he has a, was raised by his white mother and his white grandmother and his black father was nowhere around. He wrote a book on that. This is not breaking news. I said, but that's his choice. For me, I choose to identify and celebrate all of me, both sides, my white mother, Irish Italian white mother, and my black father because I feel equal love for both parents. My joke is, I'll say it forever, like pretty sure my white mom was there the day I was born, you know? So why would I not celebrate all of me? And that's all that was. And that was to Barbara Walters in 2014. And she brought in Obama. I would never have gone there. And I answered it that way. And it's funny, as I'm answering it, they put up a picture behind me of my family, my white mom, my black dad, my two brothers and myself at the Hall of Fame ceremony at at West Point for my dad being inducted into the Army Sports Hall of Fame as the first black man to ever play varsity football at Army. He broke the color barrier. What he went through and did and chose to do was incredible. My father made history and is the greatest man I know and will ever know. So... Then, because I stood up for my white mom as well, then I hate my black side is what the narrative was. It wasn't as big of a deal in 2014. When I say it in 2021, when I'm asked about it on the Jay Cutler podcast, um, the answer was the same. The times are different. And so I said exactly, again, probably not verbatim, but the same basis for what I said seven years earlier on our network, on ABC, and this time it was taken differently. I had become more of a lightning rod I had continued to rise as far as my role and my salary. And I know that that, a lot of people didn't like that either, that part either. I think that plays a lot into this, whether people would admit it or not. Just my feeling, just my gut, what I've been told. Um, the, the, the same comments from seven years prior hit different. It's, it's what I hear you saying, and I can't fault you for it, is like you're choosing to live in reality. And social media, the matrix, has created this fantasy, utopian, woke, social justice world that's not connected to reality. And and ESPN and all of corporate America is playing along with the matrix and and yourself. And I, I tend to try to live in reality and just say true things. And, and, and so I don't want you to hear it as like, I'm questioning your sanity or, or, or but there is that's a fair question as to why. Because yeah. it is easier to stay quiet. And to it just go safer. off in the fantasy world Great. and collect the check. Great. And and go home and take care of your kids. Hundred percent. And a lot of people said through the years, even my mother, Sage, <laughs> because my mother would get on my Instagram page and see thousands of it's not. It's one thing to, for someone to not like you. It's another thing for them to threaten you, to call you 
every disgusting name in the book, very racist names from people who look like us, not like white, not from white people. That's a whole other topic um, that I that I do believe needs to be addressed in general in this society. But most people are afraid to do so. Um, it is easier and safer, especially you know when there is money on the line. I've lost a lot of money by being true to myself, and I had to take that risk. Not just because for me, I felt pent up. Other people at ESPN and on the outside would come to me and say, thank you, whisper, because everybody's afraid. Thank you, thank you. Woman in the in the restroom a few months ago at ESPN, making sure there's no mics on. She's like, I just, she's in tears. A white girl just wanted to thank you because you're standing up for so many of us who are afraid and feel silenced. So once, I realized this is a hell of a lot bigger than me. And because I somehow went from this quiet, shy kid, literally, so shy my parents were gonna take me to doctors. Cause they, they I wanted, I had this crazy dream. They're like, okay, you wanna be on TV, but you, you don't talk. <laughs> we gotta work on that part to this. And I realized I have fought through so many fears and threats and all of the above and self doubt to the nth degree that to then not be fully true to myself when we're telling everybody else they can, like that's, I think I would have, I know I would have regretted that. That's being a sellout if you ask me. So I, yes, I chose to be okay with it. It took many years to get there. And I believe, that's why I wanna talk now because there's the, the number of letters and emails and DMs and stops in the airports I've gotten since the settlement, but even before, it overwhelms me every time because I feel like besides being a mother, I literally feel like I know why I'm on this earth right now because I'm no longer afraid. I love the name of your show. I'm jealous I couldn't take it before you. It, I am fearless now because Lord, I'm Tommy speaking. Lawrence stole it. It did her no good, so. <laughs> I'm uh. not gonna try. <laughs> I'm not gonna try. It's so true though. Once you let go of the fear and I'm being true to myself, we're telling kids they can go be a cat for a day or a boy today and a girl tomorrow to go do you. But some of us can't be ourselves because we don't fit into that narrative. So it's, it's about others who also feel this fear. And I don't want people to feel the way that I have for not being enough for all these years. And I'll talk about Obama. If I'm asked about Obama, I'm not trying to go there. But at the end of the day, it was an interesting question by Barbara. She did not like my answer and made that very, very clear. But and tried to beat you up afterwards. Yeah, that was exaggerated. Oh my gosh, no. I was there were witnesses and I was like, this woman just tried. It was hysterical because you're not going to hurt me. What am I going to do? Shove her back? No. But it was certainly memorable and we I've talked about it with the people who saw it uh, a lot because it was very memorable. Um, but I What do you think I'm was excited. that about though? Barbara is 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 she 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 thinks you're uppity? I mean, what do you what do you no, think? I, it came right after my Obama comments. Got it. But what this is another woman that's like shoving you because you have the wrong opinion about Obama. Yeah, and I don't want, again, I, she did an elbow and yep. backed into me. She didn't, you know, but at the end of the day, she, no, hello. So many of these people at the top are used to getting their way. And when someone disagrees, especially someone that they believe is inferior to them, which and, and maybe she didn't think that, I don't know, and she's not here to talk about it, unfortunately, rest her soul. However, um, it was very evident, didn't like my answer, that I, I, if I'm asked, um, I am absolutely proud of my, and I know you don't like that word, I'm so proud of my black side 
and my white side. I'm proud of how I am made. The courage that my parents had in 1970 and 71, coming off the civil rights era, when this, that interracial thing, that, that was a problem within their own families. So what I've gone through is nothing. It's the least I can do is to stand up for both of my parents and say, no, 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 I'm, I'm so blessed to have been born into this family based on what they went through, the courage it took and the strength to stay together. October is 52 years. Are you kidding me? I, I'm like, not gonna say- This is simple. I'm not gonna say you've gone through nothing. I'm gonna say you've gone through less than less. what your parents have. and I have perspective. Have. Yeah, less than what your parents have, but nothing, and, and I wanna get into this because you went to Carmel High School, am I correct? Yeah, I'm from Warren Central High School, east side of Indianapolis. We're very familiar. We didn't like Carmel. Nobody that liked was, Carmel. Yeah, the, the rich kids up north or whatever. Which, uh, I'm an Army kid. Yeah. Remember Fort Benjamin Harrison? Yes, of course. When it was the Army post, it's no longer. It's like a state park right. now. Dad was stationed there. We moved there my senior year of high school. There was no room on post. They said, go off for a year, live in wherever, and then come back on post in 1990. So we were told best schools, best athletic programs, Carmel. We didn't think about the racial aspect or the, uh, the economic aspect. It was just, oh, let's go to this really good school for her senior year. Like that sucked to move then. Um, and so I walked in there. Let me tell you, Jason, you think I fit in in Carmel High School in 1989? No, you know I, I know Carmel well. Yeah. Uh-uh. So um, that, that's where the real uh, kind so of ugliness began. I, I did. Yeah, I that's when you started having racial problems then? Mm -hmm. you, that was a problem was at Carmel? That was the first time. That was the first time ever in my life. Where, where were you before then? Where, where Colorado you, Springs, Fort Carson. Huh. Which Colorado Springs is very diverse, a, a big Hispanic population. And the military in general is so diverse. It's, I always say it's the most diverse, sheltered upbringing possible, you know, because. You're right. All the, right. A lot of interracial, but sheltered yeah. because everybody takes care of each other. They know what it's like to be the new kid and to move in next door to somebody. There's a lot of shared values in the military it's, as well. It is the best upbringing, even though I had to move before my senior year. <laughs> and so what was that? Carmel, for those of you that don't know anything about Indiana, it's a wealthy suburb uh, outside of Indianapolis. They do have a great sports tradition. Uh, my high school one of their sports rivals, we working class, my high school, and now, you know, Far East Side of Indianapolis is one of the most infamous places now in Indianapolis, where my high school is. Uh, and so, I, I, but I had friends that, you know, I played college football with some guys from Carmel and guys on my all-star team and, you know, anyway, Carmel, a whole different deal. What was that experience, racial experience like for you at Carmel? Again, I, people hate it when you say this, but I didn't see color. I saw kids. Yeah. And that's how the military is. Yes. You just see people. It's beautiful. And I'm not going to apologize for having that view. But so when I went there, um, not only did my parents not think to look at the racial makeup because we never had to before, it was never a thing, I didn't even see it when I walked in. A lot of blondes. <laughs> and I didn't look like anybody. Out of, at the time, I think there were like 1,900 students. Now it's like 6,000. Mm. Um, I was the only black student. 
Yeah, that a makes lot. sense. It's a yeah, lot. That's my 89, memory. 90. Yeah. yeah. Graduated in 90. So I was fine with it, but there were, and honestly, most kids were great. Most teachers, I didn't have any issues with teachers at all. But there were a couple of students, one I thought, one of the guys I thought was a friend, and then I realized he wasn't. But I was walking to class one day, and um, he said my name, and then he and three other guys kind of cornered me and um, started screaming, and N-word, monkey, go back to Africa, like, in my face. And that had never happened. Nothing like that had ever happened before. And I just remember kind of shutting down and somehow kind of escaping to the right and going on to class and sitting in my. It was a required home ec class, <laughs> and I remember sitting there and I remember scribbling on a piece of paper. Um, I hate Carmel High School. I hate my life. I hate. I hate. I hate. I hate. I hate. I don't talk about this too often, but. That was the first time. So in many ways, I think I was, the fact that it took till I was a senior in high school to experience that shows how sheltered I was. Um, and that's not a bad thing, you know? No. But it wasn't the reality for many. And so mine happened then and, and my grades like tanked and I, I really defected everything. And the, the, the key, because listen, there's no excuse. Kids are stupid and say and do stupid things that I think couple of those guys probably regret right now because I think from what I've seen they've turned out to be you know family men and you know I'd like to think positive but my I went home that day and told my mom my dad was out of town uh, with the army and I told her what happened and she listen that, that Irish Italian mother of mine she was not having it so we called the school and scheduled an appointment with the principal the next day um, and we went in and he listened and at the end he said I don't believe you and said, yeah, I don't, I don't see that happening. We don't have those kind of students here. And I, you know, I reiterated it. My mother, you know, she's like, <laughs> um, he basically called me a liar and did nothing. Never, and, and it was nothing, it was never dealt with. So that kind of drove me deeper that like, I was scared to talk about it. And I was within the safety of the school and the principal's office, they protect you and with my mother. And he, so, that was a that was shocking, um, and then I just went south a little bit f from there, and I just had never experienced it, Jason. Um, and it was a but but I, there were so many good people that they bounced it out. I just um, you know I wouldn't change it because it, it it needed to wake me up as to what the real world can't not always but can be like can be like, I just couldn't believe that. Now I will say this, how cool, a German teacher, her name is Miss Cam, Agnes Cam. I'd never took German, but obviously I stood out in the school. I looked a little bit different. And one day, a few weeks later, I was walking to class and I noticed, in hindsight, I, I would walk around with my head down, eyes to the floor because I was so broken over the whole thing. And she saw me walking, she called my name. I'm like, how does she know me? I'm not in her class. She pulled me aside into a room and she said, listen to me, look at me. She goes, I heard what happened. I am so, so sorry. Know this, you are doing more for Carmel High School than we can ever do for you. Thank you and you stand tall, you stand strong. And that woman, that was in 1989-90. All these years later, I remember what she said and that helped me to be seen in that moment. 
and a reminder that the, the vast majority of people in America, in any situation, in a place of work, are really, really good. And I refuse to let the bad take over and dictate how I act, how I think, how I speak, how I treat others. But that woman, Miss Cam, and I never got to see her again. I don't know where she is. I looked on Facebook to try to find her because she saved me and she didn't have to. She didn't even have me as a student. There is more good than bad. But the bad, you can't just ignore it. You have to learn from it and um, make me better. And I think it did. And so how did you get through the other aspects of, of just the rest of your high school year there and graduation, prom? There were a lot of did good you... people. I, a really nice kid, a friend of mine asked me to prom. And I was thinking, you just want to be normal. You just want to go to your yep. senior prom. And I had, he was so sweet, um, nice guy, not a boyfriend, nice, really nice guy. And um, I didn't have a boyfriend actually until I was, until I met my husband when I was 20. So I didn't have any boyfriends until I was 20. Uh, thank you. The tear didn't come out though. It didn't come out. I blinked it back. Um, I was, you know, I was on the track team in the spring and those girls were really, really nice. I mean, there were times, some conversations that, that were pretty unique about, um, so my dad, how about this? This is interesting. My dad had a, a BMW because when we lived in Belgium years prior, BMWs were like buying a Honda. They were cheap. Yep. And my dad always wanted one. And my dad topped out at about six, six and a half, 230. And he bought a, all we could afford was a, a, a two door 320i BMW in 1981. And we came back to the States and he kept it. And it was a, you know, a five speed. And I was like, oh, I'm, I'm driving that. And so if I um, did my chores during the week, I would get the Beamer on the weekends for like a day. And I was, I remember one time a, a girl after practice said, I saw you in, in that car. You know, it's a BMW. A lot of those kids had their own BMWs yes. at Carmel. Mm -hmm. That's not how my house was. But I got to borrow that old beat up Beamer once a week if I was good. And then they're like, black girl with the Beamer. That's how I was known. And then they asked, what is your, what does your dad do? Like someone asked about drugs because that's how black people can afford yeah. a BMW, right? Asked where my guns were if they're under the seat of the car because all black people have illegal guns, right? I mean, this is, that's some of the questions that I had to face, but, but I, I, I feel like, Jason, I, I look back and I'm kind of, um, I don't know where the strength came from me because I was a 16-year-old senior, 16, turning 17 my senior year. I was a young one. And to, to realize that these kids were curious, they weren't being intentionally racist. All they saw was what? What was on TV, what the media said. They'd never been around someone like me and they loved me, but that's what they thought my dad must do for a living if we could afford this. So I remember taking it as no, why don't you come over and see my little house? It was little compared to theirs. And they loved me and they loved my family. I felt like, man, I got to educate these kids because I don't want them to think that all people who look like me, criminals, like it wasn't even their fault. It wasn't. It's the parenting and it's the media. So I, at that age, I look back and I'm, I'm so glad that I didn't take it as personally, maybe as some would have. Mm -hmm. But to say these girls are really nice and they love me, let's try to educate them. It, 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 it reminds me of a story that I think I've shared. I don't know if it's on this show, but I've shared it before of uh, when I got to Kansas City in 1994 and 
was writing a column and having a lot of success instantly. Uh, there was a woman uh, who took an interest in white woman, the co-worker or whatever, really into me. And uh, we started hanging out and her questions were crazy in terms of, and, but because she liked me and because we were friends, she felt comfortable asking. And so she literally asked, I think I'm 27 at the time, and I would imagine this girl was 25 or 26. And uh, she asked me, she goes, that she had heard that I had recently gotten released from jail. And <laughs> that, and again, I'm the premier writer at the paper at the time, having all this success. She likes me. She's trying to have a relationship, but she's asking all these things that she's wanted to ask and rumors that she had heard around the paper. And many of them were very negative, like that, and that, you know, that uh, the editors rewrite your work or you don't, they just sign your name, they sign your, put your byline on stuff that they wrote. And, and I'm, you know, walking her through answering these questions. And, but, but I was sitting there like, this woman's not racist. She's just reacting to what she's been told. And she has so little access to black people. She, she's, she's just curious. She wants to know. Yes. And, and, uh, but I remember at the time I was like, it, it made me back up away from the woman or whatever, but, but not out of any type of animus, just out of more like, I just don't think uh, the common grounds here, if you could actually think that I, you know, took this job right in the column after I got released from. <laughs> it's a nice bounce back. From prison. But, but. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. It, 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 you, you take me to, is it Chael or Kale Sonnen? Chael Sonnen, yeah. Chael Sonnen. <laughs> the, the, the UFC deal, you took so much grief. Still do. Oh, and it's mind-blowing. It's to me. crazy. It, it's, I, I want to play the clip. Chael, Kale, whatever. Chael Sonnen. Chael Sonnen. You got it. Yeah, he, he, let's play He's the clip. He's a good guy. This is yeah. on ESPN, and, and stage takes a lot of grief for this. <laughs> I mean, do you have to hate your opponents to win? Can I touch your hair? Can I, can I feel? I love your hair, by the way. Random. That has never happened before? Because everybody that's sitting in this TV chair now. is thinking it, I can assure you. That's real hair, people, and it's very soft, I might add. So, I, that guy was always irreverent and a bit silly. Or, Always. I think know. that context is important. Anyone yeah. who follows that UFC sport and MMA and that, like, that's who he is. He is all over the place. He's an entertainer. Yes. And, and, and again, if you know anything about UFC, you know anything about combat sports, you got to be a little bit goofy, a little bit nutty. A little bit crazy. Yeah, to, to even be involved. He had been really crazy leading up to that, too. That's why it was a fun yes. conversation. Yes. And so, but, but even the whole deal of, of like, Oh, a white person wanted to know about your hair. 
that's racist for you letting someone touch your, I, I've, I'm t- from the moment this became a thing, I've always thought, this is the dumbest non-controversy <laughs> in the history of the world. There's an irreverent UFC fighter uh, and, and stage has her guard down and it's just, it, it's a personal fun moment and they've used it to say, oh, look at this woman, what a sellout. She let a white person touch her hair as if, just keeping it real, if I haven't touched a white woman's hair, like, what's your hair feel like? All right, it, hey, your hair smells different than the black girl's hair. This is what people do. I'm just sorry. These are just facts. And, I, but again, this is It still gets thrown at me yeah. all the time. And I laugh because, what was that, maybe 2012, 2011, I think? Maybe 10? I don't know. I looked a lot younger and better back then, but that's fine. So, at that moment, you got, you're on live TV. You're thinking quick, or you don't have a job in general, right? That's part of it. And at that moment, again, he had been silly and cracking up. You know when the studio crew is laughing too in the background when someone's all over the place? So I think you can even tell by the tone of my question that he chose not to answer. Yep. And it was just fun. And so when he said that, the split-second decision in my mind was, okay, this is awkward and weird, and I'm silly, and I'm a good sport about whatever. And I said, if I say no, this is what went through in his bed. Then the girl on TV who's so prim and proper and she's too worried about her hair and how she looks instead of the questions and the job. So I was like, I don't care. My hair is wild, touch it. And then we, that's what it was. It wasn't, you know, oh my gosh, don't touch a black woman's hair. First of all, again, why does it have to be about race? We're splitting it up as usual. My personality is just go for it. And you know what? I mean, my hair has always been a thing because it's non-traditional in this industry. I was told for years, straighten it, please. You want it, you know, they didn't say we want you to look like a traditional news or sports anchor, but they didn't have to. Every time I did straighten it, back at ESPN, I used to do it once a year maybe. People would walk right by me, didn't recognize me because I look completely different, probably a lot older with, with straight hair. I think this probably hides a lot. I, I literally had no idea it was a thing. Everybody was cracking up. And I, afterwards we got off the set and he's like, was that offensive? I'm so sorry. But I go, no, I, I think it's funny because you, and, and he's like, gosh, it's, he was, it's beautiful hair. We made it into a race thing as usual. And I'll, I'll admit this, and I've never said this publicly. Um, because of my white mom, I guess, I don't have black girl hair. I don't, I don't have ethnic hair. I have my crazy wild curly hair that I do wash every day, which is different from African, from black hair. Yes. But I, again, I didn't know that it was a thing. I didn't know that you couldn't touch because my black girlfriends growing up through all those years, we played with each other's hair and it didn't matter. So all of a sudden, because he's white, um, I just refuse to live in this society where we have to be on eggshells and deem this guy racist because he's silly and trying to be funny and entertaining and wanted to touch my hair. And because I chose to let him instead of being this, would it have looked better, Jason, if I had been like, no, stay on your side of the set? Like, I don't know. but To the woke crowd, yes. If you had been I'd shut angry him down and, and shut him down, put him racism. in his place and, you know. Even, you, even 10 years ago, 12 years ago, it wasn't like this, though. It wasn't, but it, it was, the, the seeds were there. The, 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 
it wasn't as bad, but the seeds were there and they would have preferred for you to have put him in his place and and to be a bit more of the standoffish. But but I don't care. I listen, I have cool hair. You wanna touch it? I, I, I whatever. I I because I, 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 I couldn't imagine. I was like, do you know how many times in real life that's probably happened to stage away from a camera with other kids? It's no different. We uh Bryce, who just started working for us, when Bryce he's running the camera when he first got here, it's not that I touched his hair, but he had one of these big froze and just and he's in a rock band or whatever. He's just 19. He's in a rock band or whatever. And every day he comes in here, I gave him crap about his hair. And, and Is that racist? I, I, probably. <laughs> no. I don't care. Uh, <laughs> and, so, no. and he's got his buddy Kenny that also worked for us. For but time. Jason, 12, 13 years later, people are still playing that clip. And that's why that was maybe, I guess, un unbeknownst to me at the time, the beginning of me being a sellout. Because I let this guy, that was, people bring that up in relation to the recent mm. topics all the time. I, 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 but, but we're going to get to the real reason you're a sellout, and I'm going to get... <laughs> I can't well, wait to hear why yeah, I'm a sellout. I, I'm, about, I'm about to say, because, you know, trust me, I get accused of the same thing. But I want to take care of one of our great sponsors, Bank on Yourself. Have you been told to max out your 401k? The Wall Street Casino loves to roll the dice with your hard-earned life savings. But the only thing Wall Street guarantees is that they will always get paid whether you win or lose. Thankfully, there's a better way to grow your nest egg. Bank on Yourself is a guaranteed and predictable way to grow your hard-earned money. This retirement plan alternative gives you 100% control of your money, plus tax-free income in retirement. Bank on Yourself provides guaranteed, predictable growth and retirement income with no luck, skill, or guesswork required. You'll know what your tax rate will be in retirement, zero dollars, under current tax law, which protects you from the coming tax tsunami. You're also in control. Unlike 401ks or IRAs, with Bank on Yourself, you get to access your money for any purpose at any time with no questions asked and no government penalties or restrictions on how much income you can take or when you can take it. Now get a free report with all the details on how Bank on Yourself strategy adds guarantees, predictability, tax savings, and control to your financial plan. Just go to bankonyourself.com slash fearless. That's bankonyourself.com slash fearless. Stage, sage, I was stage, sage. <laughs> You're a sellout in people's mind. Not Obviously, I don't agree with this because of who you married. That, that's being, and again. So is it better that I'm divorced from him now? <laughs> like, am I now no, not a No, no, And this is what I just find crazy about it is like her parents have executed a 52-year successful interracial marriage. Why would I be shocked that she's emulating her parents? Why would I be offended by that? Why would I call her a sellout for emulating what she saw in her own home? And who knows, you know. But it wasn't an intentional thing to go find a white guy. I, I, it wasn't intentional at all. Like it's, it, that is so small minded. It's ridiculous. So funny because when I went, when I was at IU, I graduated from Indiana. Yep. Um, first of all, I like, I liked all boys. I don't care. Race, like, whatever. Um, none of them liked me, Jason. <laughs> so, so. Uh, I, who? None of the guys that I liked back then liked me. And I had crushes on everybody. I think I was just, I was like, oh, he's cute. He's cute. He's cute. Um, and I'm, listen, this is the dead honest truth. You can ask all my best friends then. I swear. Let Mixed me girls are like the gold standard. And you tell them you had a 
Guys wasn't coming at you nonstop? No, none. I'm not exaggerating, and it's fine. Now, maybe go find some old pictures, and you might be like, oh, that's why. <laughs> She's changed. She's evolved. So I remember a guy on the, the football team at IU who I was in love with. Like, in love, despite never what speaking year to is him. This? This is probably 91, 92. You know, I think I was in Bloomington at that time. <laughs> anyway, seriously, I, I, was, I worked for the Bloomington Herald Times. That was my oh, first job. Oh, you did? Yeah. You're kidding. Mm -hmm. So he was a, I think he was a safety. Black guy, drop dead, still to this day, one of the most beautiful men I've ever seen in my life. I would see him and I would be like, <gasps> and I would like shut down. I was so nervous. But then, you know, my friends, because we were in the same dorm, my friends told his friends, told his friends, it got back to him. And I was and they were like, yeah, no, he likes white girls. And no. So I was like, okay. Um, I still had a crush on hope, you know, hey, maybe still single now, now that I am again, right? Who knows? But um, some of his friends had crushes on his, whatever. Not one of them was interested in me for whatever reason. And that's, that's okay. That's their prerogative. Um, the, my first real boyfriend is the guy that I ended up marrying and he happened to be white. That's it. It wasn't a, a, okay, can't have them, so I'm going to go here. I, I literally, all I ever saw was love with my parents, to your point, and who loves you, who treats you well, who respects you, who uplifts you. I was 20 years old, and it happens to be that a white Oh, he man, went to IU with you? Yeah, we met in college, met at IU. He's from, he went to Ben Davis. Um, and so, oh, he's from a, a tougher part of town. Than he you. is. Well, so he also hated Carmel High School. But again, yeah. I, I wasn't a Carmelite, as we yeah. said, because I wasn't from there. So, um, white guy from the west side of Indy. Who oh, cares? no wonder he pulled up. White guy from the west side. He's, he had never he, dated anybody who looked like me before. He had going two, to Ben Davis. Brunette, little petite white white cheerleaders, well, all of the above. Ben Davis, they ain't scared over there. No. Also hit and never quit, Dick Delahan. Say that to your... Dick Delahan, the football coach yeah, there. say that to Quite your... successful, Ben yeah, Davis Giants. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Also hit and never quit. Dick, he's <laughs> one of my biggest fans and supporters because I crushed Ben Davis. But anyway, I'm sorry. I'm <laughs> <laughs> he just, he just, he happened to be white. I, I absolutely have been attracted to all men um, of races, I should say. All men, that sounds really bad. Yeah. It just didn't matter. It just didn't matter to me, that's all. And so if that's why I'm a sellout is because of that, then fine. But do you know what that is? That's racist. It's, it certainly is it's racist. completely racist. And that's where I call BS on all these people and all the hypocrisy of preaching. Because hey, if you're white, you damn well better be open and tolerant and accepting of me and how I wanna be and how I wanna talk and how I wanna dress and how I want my hair. But I guess it can only go one way. And I don't understand that way of thinking. It is inherently racist in its own right. And the problem is too few people are willing to call it what it is. You're one of the only ones that has a platform who's willing to do that. No, it, it is classic racism. And um, it, it, it's, it's an unaddressed issue in terms of we're, we're acting like there's a good form of racism and a healthy, necessary, yes. justifiable form of racism. And, and it's, it's such a betrayal of all the sacrifices that were made by people 100 years ago and 60 years ago, certainly. And, uh, but, but everybody seems very comfortable with it 
right now, and it, and it's kind of depressing. But which for, is creating even more. So, but but given what was going on, but given your parents' experience, did, were you aware that like, hey, there's going to be an extra burden perhaps here with this marriage and relationship? Because, and I, I'm gonna tell you why I asked that, because I. I, 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 I blew up some relationships because I didn't want to deal with the hassle of an interracial marriage. Blew up. You, you, so white totally women. Undermined, yeah, totally undermined and destroyed, uh, you know, uh, totally undermined and destroyed the relationship, best relationship I ever had, just out of just fear of just like, thought it would get in the way of my career, thought, um, I just didn't want to deal with the hassle of it, and I, I regret it. You uh, do? Yeah, I certainly regret it. Yeah, because what I'm a unique person, and you know, when God sent me exactly what uh, I needed, you know, you just shouldn't blow it off uh, the way that I did, or you should blow it up. Uh, but I just did it out of fear. I, I didn't, and so I, I, I got into. Stand. I, I got understand. A, yeah, I got in a pattern. Of, uh, of just blowing up relationships before they got too serious, before I had to uh, get married or do something like that, just because I didn't want to deal with that hassle. And you got, I got my values, and so, uh, and again, I've dated black women or whatever. But again, you show me any, I look back at it now and I see it clearly. You show me any liberalism, I'm running for the hills. I, you know, I'm, I'm a, I'm a, I say it all the time and I, you know, I don't mean it, but I say it. I'm a sexist patriarch and, uh, anything matriarchal and sort of, it's fingernails on the chalkboard for me. It's a, just a total no go zone. And so, you know, I, I'm stuck in my ways and, and there's been two women that I, that I should have married mm. and, and both of them were white. Didn't do it because I just didn't want to deal with the hassle and regret it. So I'm just being, I told you a couple of weeks ago, I'm going to be vulnerable right here with you and say things that I shouldn't say or I'll take heat for. But uh, I don't want you to come on this show and spill your guts and leave you out here standing by yourself. So I will embarrass myself and give people things to tweet. No, that's embarrassing. <laughs> no, but I think it, first of all, uh, it takes a lot to be vulnerable and I'm grateful that you're sharing that because it's probably not something that people would ever suspect with you. Um, there's a lot that people are surprised by you in, in many ways all the time, I'm sure. But um, I mean, was it a family thing or is it just you personally? Uh, my dad uh, my, was my hero. My dad's passed. He was my hero. And uh, it, it, it didn't want to put him through it. I, it, it. My dad was a racist for, in, in his view, and to some degree mine, for justifiable reasons. He experienced some things growing up that uh, he did not like white people and he had reasons for it. I love my dad. And these were, you know, possibly my favorite person ever. Uh, certainly huge influence on me. And I just didn't want to I didn't want to do that to him because he <laughs> I remember I'd come home from college and 
you know, this is back before anyone had cell phones. So if a girl wanted to call you, they had to call your house where your yes, parents would answer. They would answer. And my father would be like, man, what's this white girl calling you for? Uh, and, and my father's a very good looking guy, much better looking than me. And, and he was a ladies man or whatever, but he'd always brag that he'd never sleep with a white woman. She'd never get to experience this, Jason. Uh, I oh, mean, <laughs> you'd have to know my dad. It's it's it's, probably, it's better than that, or he's a better person than that. I'm just my dad's a yeah. good guy. But but also, and I, you know, I don't want to. You got a, I got a real black mother, and black mamas want their sons to marry women that remind them of themselves. Uh, that's just facts. Um, and so it, it but it, it really because my family knows I'll stand up to anybody. But it with my dad, I, I didn't I didn't want to do it to him. I, I, and I again, but I don't even want to put I don't want to hide behind my dad. I thought it would undermine uh, what I wanted to do with my career and the kinds of issues I would write and talk about. And then when you remove myself from that, then I start thinking about the crosshairs I would be putting the woman in. Everybody has an opinion about me. I didn't want a wife and kids being collateral damage to the career that I had and all the heat that would come their way from. So you took that choice away from the woman that loved you? Yeah, I'm a control freak, yes. I just think, um we assume sometimes yeah. mm -hmm. of how someone's going to receive it or not receive it or how hard it might be. Oh, I think. And I, I'm not saying it wouldn't have been hard because I, I, we've all seen it. Yeah. But um, it is, what if they, and I'm not saying just you, what if they loved you enough so oh, they that it did. was worth it, I right? do think, I do that think they would have been okay. But I want to put them through it. So you took control of that and didn't yeah. allow it. Yeah, I, I think, it. Yeah, I yeah. think right, yeah. yeah, right there with me would have, you know, we had shared values and all that would have would have rolled along for the right. But I, the other thing, and, and this is where it gets a little touchy, uh, and and because you have mixed kids and you're a mixed person, I think mixed kids have a tougher road, and and that was the other thing is like, you know, I, I don't want to say do I want to do it to my kids, but do I want to give them that extra? I hear that a lot of childhood. I remember watching Phil Donahue. <laughs> it was on in the live in, in at home once in the eighties, and my mom had it on. And that conversation it was on the stage with a lot of white people who were like, "That is not fair to the kids, and it is selfish, and blah 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 blah." And black people who said it too. But I remember this one white woman who was like, "That is selfish and it's wrong," and she's mad at her daughter for marrying a black man. Um, again, call me naive, call me simple in many ways, but okay, fine. So you have an all black child, it's easier. Or all white child, it's easier because you're not in the middle, right? And you have an alcoholic father. But hey, I'm all one race, thank goodness, right? Or you have a, a mother with mental issues. But hey, I'm all one race, I, I'm all black at least, you know? There's always going to be something. And if the most important part is that I am surrounded by love with two people, who love me equally, regardless of how they came up, regardless of the fact that my mom's white family disowned her for marrying a black man. They came, the parents, that her siblings were incredible and still are. I'm so close to all my aunts and uncles. Um, but 
I just think it's short-sighted yet understandable, especially back in the day, for people to be like, oh, that's, that's just too much. I know that I was raised by two courageous parents because of when they chose to do it. When my mother said, you know what, at 21 years old, I love this black man because he loves me. And our love is worth me saying goodbye to my parents. Now, different relationship with her parents than mine with my parents. Um, they weren't as close. And it, again, a very different time. Um, that is freaking courage. And I've been criticized for saying my mom deserves some credit. And it's not like, you know, she's asking for it. But that is a brutal decision to have to make when your parents say choose between him or us. So I look at my mother like, whoa. And to have done that at that time in 1971, I mean, thank goodness. Did they live to regret it? Yes. Yes. About her parents. Yes. Um, this is a shameless plug, but for six years I've had uh, pinned on my Twitter page um, a, a story that NFL Films did on my family. They did it because my brother's uh, head of PR for the Baltimore Ravens and the NFL, da 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 da. And then they realized in interviewing my parents about my brother that they have a unique story. And it's been pinned for six years because it literally goes into the why behind the Steele family and just kind of why we've always been okay standing up with our, for our principles. I learned something in that piece about my dad and my mom that I'd never known, they never shared with me. But I would say it's just a beautiful story and I would love it if you or anybody watching went and looked because it's, what a blessing to have that kind of a documentation about your family that my great, great, great grandkids will have, you know? But my dad said then, and I, I never knew, and every time I hear him say it, I, I get emotional. Every time I watch the piece, um, every single month, my dad would write, pen to paper, write a letter to my grandparents, my mom's parents, and just- I've seen this. Yeah. Go ahead, tell the story. Let them know that their daughter's okay, that he is doing what men do, and he's taking care of their little girl. And my mom was like, Gary, it is a waste of time. They're never gonna see it. They're never gonna write back. And he goes, okay. He goes, I bet they see it. They might, might not write back. He goes, but you know what? It is the right thing to do. And they need to know that this man, who happens to have black skin, is taking care of their daughter. And he did it every month for six years until there was a bit of a reunion. My mom's youngest sister brought them together. Didn't tell either side, because my mom was hurt. She's like, We're, I'm done. You know, I have my siblings. They can go to hell, so to speak. Um, and then my, you know, so my parents were done, my grandparents, and my aunt scheduled a dinner, maybe it was Thanksgiving, I think it was Thanksgiving, didn't tell either one, and then had assigned seats at the Thanksgiving table, and sat my grandmother, and she was the one. My grandfather was more okay with it, my grandmother was like, not happening with the interracial marriage. Sat my father next to my grandmother, and then said, when it's time to say grace at Thanksgiving, she was like, and my, my aunt said, we hold hands at our table, Mom. And that was the beginning huh. of the healing on both sides. And we lived in Europe as a kid, in Belgium and Greece with the military, a hundred different states, like all over the place. So I didn't get to see my grandparents very often. I wasn't able to have that traditional relationship with my grandparents either side because of the proximity of where we lived. So I'm sad I never got that. That's why I'm so grateful that my parents and um, my 
husband's parents have such a great, ex-husband's parents have such a great relationship with my kids because they made the effort. I never had that though. So I didn't get to see them really consistently until 1984 when we came back to the States and my grandfather died in 84, 85, one of them. So um, they, but I do know that my grandmother in particular, because she was the one that lived longer on my mom's side, the white side, fell in love with us kids. And my mom always tells me how proud she would have been of, of this. Hmm. Not because of, of my skin color, but because, you know, I took a stand just like my mom did years ago. And um, sorry, I didn't think I'd be talking about this, but she would be proud of me because it's easier to stay silent. It would have been easier for my mom to just listen to what her parents said and just keep it safe, not ruffle feathers and not choose the man she loved over her parents. And so I am proud of the courage she chose to display. And um, obviously I wouldn't be here, but so when it comes to all the drama, all the hate from being a sellout, from work stuff, from my stances, from my alleged politics, from who I married, what my kids look like. My kids have taken some crap because of their mom who has a voice. Um, my kids are sellouts too, according to a lot of people, you know, people have come to attack them. But uh, that's my why, because I come from people who choose the harder right, you know, and, and, and have chosen to just be true to themselves, even when it's scary and even when it hurts and even when you're alienating your parents. So I know that my grandmother who wouldn't pick up the phone when my mom called to tell her that she was pregnant with me and didn't meet me till I was seven years old. That woman changed and evolved. People can if they want to. I think that's a beautiful thing. People change. Um, if we have it in us to forgive them. And all I knew is that I had another person in my life that loved me. Isn't that what it's about? Isn't that, it's just simple to me. And when people choose to divide like this, um, it's heartbreaking. And that's what's wrong is people are choosing to lead with hate, choosing to lead with, lead with negativity. And I just won't. And so listening to what she's your what your kids and i don't want to i, I want to be careful here and not, not be silly and just but i'm just going to tell you how i interpret the conversation i told you what the conversation was before and it's just a conversation between friends but when i hear you talk about your kids taking flack that's what i feared mm -hmm. it's like i'm bringing some kids into the world they're going to take some unnecessary flack because we lived in this very warped, satanic world that, uh, and, and people claim they're believers and claim they're out for the good things, but they do the kind of things that happen to your kids that, you know, they're a sellout or call them names or, or things they have zero control over and things that even aren't even negatives or flaws. And I, 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 as a man, and again, as a wo woman, in my view, tend to lead a little bit more with heart, where I sitting up being very calculated and strategic and just like, do I want to do that to somebody? Wouldn't that be selfish? And, uh, you know, and then put the woman through. Again, I, I would, there's been so many nasty things said and or written about me that, 
you know, I went thinking my mother reads this stuff on Facebook and, uh, you know, brothers, sister, they read this stuff and I got nieces and cousins and stuff. And I was like, I don't want my kids reading this stuff. I don't, you know, I wouldn't want my wife having out to defend it. Cause he, here's what happens to me just even, just as a, even coworkers catch, if I'm, Coworker friends of mine catch flack for being friends of mine. My friends catch flack for being my oh, friends. I have a story on that recently. Yeah, and and so my, my friends are sitting there like, all I know about Whitlock is, oh my God, is what a great friend he's been to me and friend of my wife and my kids and blah blah blah. But but if I go out, I I got to defend Whitlock, and it's just like this this extra burden that your friends have to carry. Uh, being friends with someone like me because I don't, I don't check those liberal boxes. Maybe they're like us and don't care and just love Whitlock for Whitlock. Oh, I, that's certainly true about right? my friends. But, but I feel like when we kind of try to control all that, that's that's just it's exhausting and it's a burden and it's not allowing them to make that choice because the more people that do make those choices to be friends with us anyway, go crazy. I mean, I, I believe it, it can have an effect on others and it can influence others in, in very, very small ways. You know, my kids, my kids, um, because their father is white, um, half white, half black. My kids are very light and look, don't look like they have a, a have any black in them. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Your husband is half black, half no. white? No. Oh. Sorry, did I say that wrong? He's no. white. And you're half black. And half I'm black. half. So, yeah. So the kids are... Only 25 percent yeah, yeah. black, mm -hmm. um, and we listen. We we mess around in my family. We joke all kinds of jokes and yep. inappropriate or not, and that is just how we are. And I love it. And so I, my kids, I you know, my dream was to have a little girl with curly hair like mine. <laughs> I didn't get one. Three kids, not one curl. So straight, shiny, straight hair, and um, and they have the height, which is definitely from the steel side of the family. But they don't, I was asked if I was the nanny on many occasions by old ladies at the grocery store. And that was devastating as a young mother, um, especially because of the racial connotations behind that. And it's like, yep, no, I'm just the Jamaican nanny. Like, is that because you're in New York or fine. Um, but I had, I was so proud. This is my little girl and they're acting like I'm. <laughs> so I, I, they actually, struggled a little bit because it's like, no, you are my mom, but I don't look like you. And how is that? That's what I did with my mom too, back a hundred years ago. How could I? I didn't understand. My mom did the coolest thing, Jason, back when I was in like second grade, because I would come home from school and they're like, you're adopted. That's not your mom. Da, 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 da. And I, and I start to say, well, it's true. I don't look like her. My mom said, we liked to go to McDonald's once a year in Europe. There weren't many McDonald's at the time. Once a year, we'd go to McDonald's in Brussels or in Athens. And that chocolate vanilla swirl ice cream cone is my favorite. And so she'd be like, you know what happens when you, because you're always too slow and it melts. It melts, it's just a little bit of a lighter chocolate, lighter brown. That's what happens when you mix it up and look. You look like your dad, but you're a little lighter because we mix some vanilla in there. And it helped me as a little girl understand why I look the way I do. Fast forward to my kids and, and, and I said to my dad, we're like, my goodness, you got some weak black jeans because these kids look Italian, maybe, Spanish, maybe, but certainly not like they have any black in them. And so we always give my dad a hard time. Even my daughter's like, 
Colonel, we call him Colonel, retired Colonel. What, what, what happened here? He's like, I don't know. Um, it's about freaking love and support. And everyone says, you know, we need to be more open and tolerant and diverse and accepting. And isn't that what this is about? Like, what a beautiful melting pot of a family that I happen to have. When we would do our 4th of July family reunions, we'd get everybody up, and then friends too, we'd get everybody up on the, the porch and, and set up the tripod and take a picture. And even when it was just the immediate steals, because it was a little bit extended, you couldn't figure out who was with whom. You got mixed babies, you have white women, you have white man, you have black, like no one knew who was with who. And then one of them never got married, just adopted. And so there was not a, another father to go in the, it was crazy and we liked it. That's what America is. Tell me this, as it, I watch the Colin Kaepernick's and some of the other, I don't know why the names aren't coming to my head, but the mixed race athletes and-, and Dakar. Well, take Dak off the table because he hasn't fallen into this, but I look at a Colin Kaepernick and some others, and, and I, I say it on the show all the time, and I, I say this, uh, and again, I've told you my background and all that, so I, hopefully I have the license to say this, I'll say it regardless. Uh, I use the term African-Americans. Uh, African-Americans, like Colin Kaepernick, seem like they spend all of their life trying to prove their blackness. Is that a do your is that trapped your kids in any way? No. No. Um, again, it's different because there's not much of a question with them unless they knew other kids knew who their mom is, which obviously some do, especially the guys in sports, the sports fans. Um, quite often, you wouldn't see them and think that they're mixed with anything. You wouldn't. I know, and so, I, I see people like that, though, that go out of their way. I'm black, and let me show you how black I am. And the one-drop rule and all yeah, that. Yeah. yeah, I know every Jay-Z lyric. I'm black. Mm -hmm. And the, yeah. the, 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 the dress, the whatever. Yes. No, I mean, we've just been, you know, super real and open with them. My kids just experienced a loving household, period. And... Again, the whole I don't see color thing, we all see it, but do we sit there and choose to look at the differences? That's a choice. And when my parents would come visit at Christmas and then their dad's parents when we were married would come visit at Christmas and they just felt the love from everybody. And it's really that simple. This is where I, how I go to the shared values things. I relate this to your grandmother, the one that you, you guys are eventually reconciled with. Your, your dad, seems like he recognized very early, like, oh, okay, they, they don't think I can take care of this daughter. They don't think I have their Unworthy. values or the blah, blah. And so he's writing this letter like, no, 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 no. <laughs> I'm going to do my job. I'm going to do what the man is supposed to do. And, and eventually that wore them out. And that's where I go back to it. People are really just looking for people that they share values with. And, and once they like, oh, okay, uh, you know, you like to dance to the same kind of music as me, or you're going to show up to work on time the same as me, or, uh, you know, you're, you're, you're not going to be cursing around my kids or what, just that we have shared values and, and I get to be me. Eventually they relax and start dealing with who you are 
rather than the surface level thing. And I think that's part of what happened with your grandmother. She initially can't get over the surface level thing. And then as she sees like, oh, wow, what a provider for my daughter this guy is. And, uh, you know, he's a very responsible person. I just got to get over this. But when you think about your dad, and you said earlier that he had experienced some things that led to the way he believed and acted. I always say this to my kids. There's no excuses, but there are reasons. I don't know what did or didn't happen with my grandmother. Um, And it's too late to ask those questions now. I would have loved to have asked her that had I known in time. Um, but I, maybe there was something legitimate. Maybe something happened in their town that made her not like black people. I don't know. What I do That's know is That's a real that, statement you just said there, says, sure. and that people don't want to deal with. And particularly right now, because you know we live in this social media world where we get access to all these events that don't happen in our neighborhood. They happen in somebody else's neighborhood a thousand miles away. And some of it looks really, really ugly, mm-hmm. racially ugly. And I'm like, oh, that's gonna leave a scar. That, that whoever experienced that, whoever's connected to the person that experienced that, that's gonna leave a scar. And, and you know, it, it, you're right. No different than my dad had some experiences that left a scar. Who knows if this woman didn't have some experiences that left a scar. And we, we all want to make the assumption, no, no, she's just uh, was born that way or was raised to think those things. It couldn't have been anything that she experienced. Unless it's you, yes. and then you're allowed to have a reason. Yes. And you're allowed to have a history that led to yes. the way you feel or the decisions that you make. Um, I just, and again, maybe it's just that optimist in me that likes to see the good um, and then the bad you can't ignore, but I want to know why, you know? And so I think that that's kind of funny when you bring it full circle to like work stuff and, and how I was perceived and treated. Um, and that's on them really, because I'm okay with where I am, even though, you know, I don't know what's next career wise. Like I'm, I'm okay with it because I, I, I knew the risks and I took a stand and I don't regret a damn thing. What I think is interesting though, is that, um, Everyone, they're all allowed to have their opinions on why they think a certain way, on race, on whatever. Not one of them has asked, well, why do you really, really feel that it's important as to, to, to claim both sides as a biracial woman? Why is that sensitive to you? You know, you're one of the only ones that asked about like my, my, my family history, you know, and what my parents went through is, is my why, you know? And you might not agree, and I might not agree, but let's be respectful of your why. Um, and again, sometimes it's a negative, but I think it's really, you gotta, we gotta own some of that stuff and the excuse versus a reason, you know? We're not gonna excuse bad behavior. I'm not gonna excuse what my grandmother did. Not, my mother didn't, most importantly, her own, of her own mother, um, but there was, there are reasons, and she chose to address it. Um, most of the people in society today, and all the haters on social media and all that, I've been pretty easy to reach for the last 16 years. And people have chosen not to. 
every one of them, even the people that I used to see in the hallways at ESPN. Was there any black support for you from other black on air personalities for you within ESPN? Um, when you say support, <laughs> I guess it's all relative. I mean, there were, per there were people who did not publicly bash who were black versus others who certainly did and still do. So I don't know if that means support just because they didn't bash me. I don't know. I'd like to think so. In this era that they consider that support. In this area, and it's not. It's not. But again, I look at, uh, and I'm not trying to drag you into something, but I'm just telling you what's going on in real time. Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. I look at uh, Mina Kimes just got some contract, and I, she's been criticized by some over Twitter. So, and I looked at Ryan Clark went out there to jump out and defend Mina Kimes and publicly or whatever. I, I can't remember any black on-air people at ESPN running out to defend. Oh, to publicly support me? Yes. Zero. What about privately? Just no text, email? Uh, hey, if you need someone to talk to or keep your head up. No. No. But at least some of them still said hi. <laughs> and still, um, yeah, I mean, listen. That's embarrassing. That's, that's, it's embarrassing and sad. Okay, I agree. I agree. Because, um, again, diversity of thought. And, and I know what it sounds that I mean that though. So, so, so I'm good. I'm in your circle. I'm good enough. As long as I either go along with what you're saying or just keep my mouth shut. And I just think it's so dangerous what is done in the black community to purposefully separate and divide based on our thoughts and our opinions and our politics or whatever it might be. That is actually the most insulting thing that I don't see happen in too many other cultures. I don't. Yeah. Where there's a, a deliberate tearing down of someone because they think a little bit differently. That we're making ourselves even smaller and sound like we don't have the power or the ability or are smart enough to think for ourselves. We don't value freedom. And we pick and choose. We're well, very inconsistent with that. We just don't value freedom. And, and it's, 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 it's sad that, to me, just that, that there's a woman being savaged publicly that you work with. And, you know, I'm just sorry. Anybody, it's like over silly stuff. A woman that has a... A white mother and a black father has every right to claim both their races. And if you're watching that person getting savage for saying something that's just total common sense and you don't think I should say so, and then you know there's an environment because 
I don't understand how the L. Duncan thing, did it leak out? Did someone write about where the whole thing, you're not black enough? That, that Was that written about? So, it, it was written about. Yeah. So yeah. so th- that, that gets out publicly. And I'm just, that should compel people to be, come on, cut this out. Not black enough. But it empowered. That's what it did. It empowered. And because it, and when a company allows that, why wouldn't people feel empowered to continue? To con- continue saying what you want, continue treating people the way that you want. Is but, there no white executive over there that that can tell people to cut it out? I mean, Norby Williams, is, he's got a pair. Jimmy Pataro, I've met with him. He seemed like a solid guy. There should have been some leadership to step up and protect you and say, hey, cut this out. Yes, there should have been. And I think just like many companies, um, there's fear of holding certain people accountable. Um, in this case, holding people of color, black people accountable. And it can't, you know, can't go both ways here. Uh, but obviously, people and leadership positions, there's a difference between uh, being in the leadership position and being a leader. There, there, what about HR, human resources? The, when I was there, I think he's now moved on to be head of all Disney, but Paul Richardson was the head of HR. He's black dude. No, you, do you remember Paul or do you know who I'm talking about? Very well. He's not offering you assistance? It's been quite the opposite. Uh, I don't know that he's with the company anymore, actually. He's with Disney, I think. No, I think, I think that might have ended as well. I don't know. I don't know. My last uh, thought is he, and, and I did start calling him out publicly because I wanted people to know who the most powerful man within ESPN tried. actually is. I tried. You tried? Yeah. And I'm not going to go too deep into it because, um, because it is over and I have moved on. And the reason why, listen, at the end of the day, Jason, when, 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 when someone, when I decide to stand up, to take a stand, I'm not doing that if I'm getting the support privately, am I? No. So, that, I mean. Oh, you're right. Terminate Paul Richardson. March, this happened in March of 2020. I, I never liked Paul Richardson. Uh, he was a big problem for me when I was at ESPN, but very, he, he, these guys are so clever and how they move pieces on a chessboard, and, and you never know it's them unless you're, you know, really studying the chessboard. But uh, Paul Richardson, uh, and then there was a white dude, John Kozner. They worked together like peanut butter and jelly to move pieces around the chessboard and undermine you in certain ways. And Paul, I, and you can tap out and, uh, <laughs> if, if this gets too uncomfortable, but Paul Richardson is an alphabet mafia soldier. He's LGBTQ. And and if you're not left wing and down with that, he was coming for you in a very clever, uh, secretive way. A lot of power in those positions. A lot of power, and they used it. And it was and it was made very clear to me. Like um, I'll, I'll say it again, and I had never thought of it this way until this conversation, where. Um, I don't even have to say that much because at the end of the day, if I had been able to have the conversations where I thought that there, there's going to be 
some thought put into this and let's have, let's discuss it and let's be consistent and let's be accountable. And not just when it's easier and you pick and choose or it goes along with the, the woke agenda that it seems like so many of these companies, including my former company, have chosen and decided to go all in on. If I had felt that they were going to have the same rules for me than others um, and be consistent with those rules, I would still be an employee. I would never, ever, ever have filed a lawsuit, ever. I would still be there. But I was treated completely differently from everybody else. And I know Stephen A. went on his show and said, well, she wasn't sure. And I, I love him. But I, I, we had a conversation before he went on his radio show or his, his podcast. You had a conversation with Stephen? Mm-hmm. Uh, off, this is just off, two weeks ago. This is just a couple off weeks air. ago. Off uh-huh. Yeah. And, you know, um, I... Because he wanted to let me know he was going to, he had been on vacation when it all went down and he's going to talk about the situation on his show. I said, okay, well, what, what are you, you going to say? What's your take? He said, I don't agree with you that uh, you were, you, there were different rules for you. I said, really? And I sent him one of the many documents I have, of 13 examples of since my suspension, not even before I got in trouble, but since my suspension, blatant examples in the media um, that have been you know, well-documented as to how they treated, let others, and you know all the names, say and do whatever they wanted on air, et cetera, on ESPN platforms, on social media, to the nth degree. I mean, things that are extremely divisive, not based on your personal experiences as a biracial woman, as a woman in locker rooms, as a woman who didn't believe in a vaccine mandate, but still complied in order to keep her job on a different platform on a day off, right? So I gave him all these examples, and he still said, there's not different, but he acknowledged it. He goes, she, you make some damn good points there. And I think you're wrong. Okay, fine. That's his, that's his prerogative to have. And then he ended it by, you know, I, again, I respect the hell out of Stephen and I really like him as a person. We go back. Um, and he ended with, you know, talking about my professionalism and kindness, et cetera. Uh, fine. And I'm very grateful for that. It is undeniable. The multitude of examples of how there are different rules. And that's why. I had to, in my mind, stand up, and I'm gonna, it sounds like just talking points, but um, I realized a long time ago that this is a hell of a lot bigger than me because I'm not alone in the way I felt there. And I'm not alone in any industry throughout this country where people feel afraid to be themselves if you're on a certain side based on any number of topics. And so when I got hundreds, hundreds, thousands of emails and DMs from people I'll never even meet saying, Number one, thank you for standing up. And number two, please, please, please don't go silent. Please. When I was forced to apologize, forced to, in order to keep my job, I had so much hate mail. Like, see, you're just like the rest of them. Forced to apologize over which particular comment? Over the comments from the Jay Cutler podcast. And that's when they, it's, I had to publicly apologize. For all three of the comments or one in particular? No, it was in, well, they would in, Or was, in general? In general. Gotcha. For, um, Basically stirring the pot, Mm -hmm. stirring the pot and creating, you know, difficult whatever during these tough times, blah, blah, blah. And then they followed up with a statement, unbeknownst to me, a statement. And then I was taken off the air and assignments taken away. But once I apologized because I had to, um, then I got more hate because, see, you're just like the rest of me. You apologized, even though I I didn't want to. Just like I didn't want to take the vaccine to be forced to do that. But I I, I had to to keep my job in both of those instances. So, um, this is this what? is this is my true attempt at trying to help make sure others don't feel the way that I have felt for so many years. 
and that is to be silenced. Why do you think Stephen A felt like he needed to address this? He said that he'd gotten a lot of pushback on social media from other people. He said, you haven't talked about the Sage Deal thing. You haven't talked about the Sage Deal thing. And I'm sure all those people wanted to hear him say a certain thing about me and bash me like everybody, all the other um, black colleagues. Uh, but not all, but those who I mean, chose to. I Everybody gets a lot of social media. Hey, you should talk about this. You should talk about that. And then we make a decision. I, I, just because someone wants me to talk about it doesn't mean I, I do. I don't know. I, I, it, 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 but it does sound like, because I asked you earlier, it does sound like he was at least somewhat respectful to you in very your much. private interaction and engagement. Oh, very much so. He always has been, even when we've disagreed on things. And, and I think for a while there, he, he was a little protective of me because he, he knows my heart. He knows who I am as a person and as a teammate and as an employee. I work my butt off and I grind with producers sometimes because I'm like, no, no, no. We need to ask the question this way, and this is not fair, and we're not showing full context. I mean, I'll go at it, you know? And he saw that, especially during my NBA days, and I did the finals even before countdown from 2012 all the way through pandemic 19. And so we're, you know, I'm hosting the 6 p.m. Sports Center live courtside, Warriors, Cavaliers, game six of the finals, and he'd be next to me, and chaos going on around us, the basketball's behind us, the monitor's going out, I have scripts flying everywhere. I'd be like, you good? We're just going to wait and go. There was a trust. And I love that he trusted me, and I certainly trusted him. And I, we'd forget the camera was there. We'd just go back and forth and on, on why we think this team's going to win. And so he knows me better than most. Um, have not been as close to him in the recent years, and the pandemic separated everything, certainly. But um, think, I think that's why he was protective of me at first. Um, you know, not as much recently, and... And that's fine. And, you know, I'll say this, and you said it earlier. I do, I, I certainly felt the separation, even from many of my friends there who loved me, but, <laughs> you know, I had one person in particular who told a friend of mine, um, you know, I had gotten hurt. I had this crazy golf accident and, and I was, I mean, I was, I could have been killed like that. It was a, a crazy random thing that happened. And a couple of the, the off-camera women, um, including one that was also on camera, was going to come over and um, just hang out with me. And I was pretty, I was a mess, pretty beat up. And then it was, um, well, listen, we just, if we do this, we can't have it on Instagram or anything. We can't, you know, I love her, but, you know, I can't be seen with her. Like friend, friend, people who knew my yeah. parents, knew my family, knew my kids. Um, and so th those are the things that hit, that hit me the most. Those other people who are just mouthy and looking for clicks and wanting to crush me for whatever random reason, I, I don't care. I, I do not care about those people. Go for it. I, I choose to live in positivity and surround myself with, with that kind of energy. Uh, and, and it also is faith-based where I'm not, I'm not going there. Um, I have the strength now to ignore and laugh kind of. But isn't that amazing? The friends that who said, I don't want to, I love her, but we can't take a picture and put it on social media. Isn't that amazing? Like, it's almost like you're OJ Simpson. <laughs> Literally like, oh, well, Sage committed a murder. I can't I know. be seen. Maybe that. that would have been better. It, I don't it, know. Literally, it, it, it would be better if you were uh, half naked, <laughs> rapping about WAP and selling drugs Everybody be real happy about being pictured with you. How about something even more realistic? How about when asked about the vaccine, if I had been like, listen, 
to each his own, but I am so frustrated with my neighbors to my left over here who have refused to take the vax. Like they must not care about me or my children. This is wrong. This is selfish. If I had condemned people who were questioning the mandate, not even the fact the mandate, I would have been uplifted. I would have been celebrated, not just by my peers, but by my company. And that's a fact because that happened throughout with, every, with many other people who condemned those of us who just had questions. This is September of 21, this is two years ago. There were, we didn't know nearly as much then as we do now about the vaccine and some of the fallout from it, right? But if I had said the opposite, instead of saying, listen, I respect everybody is what I said, but I think it's sick and I think it's scary to force someone to do this. But I get it, it's a big global company. I work for Disney, I'm not surprised. The Band-Aid's on my shoulder, which was not a prop. I had literally come from getting the shot right before. And I waited to the last day because I was so upset and didn't wanna do it. And I sprinted in and sat down and lifted up my laptop, uh, the lid to, to do my FaceTime Zoom with, with Jay Cutler. So I, it wasn't a prop. I was emotional and I was upset that I was, had been forced to do it. Imagine if I had said the opposite. I'd still, I'd still be there. I would never have gotten in trouble. But, but I'm just trying, how did we create a world where that, just like having hesitancy about taking the vaccine, saying that, hey, I love my white mother and my black father and I'm not gonna disavow them. And hey, you know, women can dress provocatively in a locker room and maybe they should maybe do a little less of that and men need to behave. That, oh, I can't be taking a picture with her. I mean, that you, you become that type of pariah for saying something that's, it's not even controversial. Well, it's, not. it's not, and again, um, based on my why for having my own opinions, which I'm allowed to have, but that doesn't matter. I think for a couple of the people, it was based on the, their peers that were on their shows with them. Um, their black peers who um, took great exception to what I said. And therefore, if you associate with me, then you're down with me and that would probably affect their careers too. Well, so I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't blame, I, do, I understand the fear in associating with me, I guess. I just don't have respect for people who don't have the courage to say, no, 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 no. Actually, this is wrong. And let's be truly inclusive and accepting and tolerant of everybody. I have moved to the point where I tell people, hey, you don't got to follow me on Twitter. I know that that's a burden and you can catch some heat for it. And, and so don't do it. And so I, I've kind of just like released people. Yes. From and me and Dan Lebatar were very good friends, knew his family. Uh, you know, we we very good friends. I don't have to go into detail. And then I figured out like, oh man, I'm a burden for him, and and I just had to let it go because one, I could see he was pulling back and making sure he had distance from me and all of that, and, and so I just I just had to let it go because you know I'm a burden and 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 that same mentality of like, I don't wanna put everybody through the heat that I'm gonna take and, and I'm not gonna force it on them. And, and so I, I just wish I love well. that. And I, and I, and I think it's, it speaks to your heart and, and I, um, a, a heart that, yes, guys, Jason Whitlock has a heart, right? 
because that human in you, that, yeah. that shows that sensitivity and that caring. It's not just about you. I was, um, last weekend, I, my daughter calls it. She's like, oh, you took yourself on a date? I'm like, I did. And I went to a couple of cool little spots in Connecticut um, by myself. My youngest daughter is the only one that's still home, not in college yet. And, you know, she has a better social life than I could ever ask to have. And so I had some time to myself and I just went, I sat next to these two incredible women who had come up to Litchfield County from um, New York for the day happened to be two black women and they just sat down next to me at the bar and we started chatting. We had the best time, like just so much fun. Then they wanted to take a picture and then they were going to post it. And I was like, listen, <laughs> I, and I didn't want to get into the whole thing, but they didn't know who I was from ESPN. And so I, I said, I'll give you, you know, they wanted my name on Instagram to tag me. I'm like, crap, I have to explain. I said, so listen, I would love that, and I would love to, to post it myself too. But you need to know that, especially some of their male friends might know who I am, and I wanted to, to protect them, and I didn't even know them. But I liked what I felt from them, and so I told them, we took the picture, um, and I said, but listen, I'm not gonna post you because I don't want people to come after you. So, and then, and then they thanked me, and I don't think they posted it themselves either, and that's fine. So I understand that. And I think that that speaks to kind of who we are as people, not like, oh, we're so great, but just there's a sensitivity to those around us, whether we know them or not. I don't want someone to have to take that heat um, just because right now I'm controversial. The cool thing is that they sat there and just got to know me. We sat there for a couple of hours, strangers, and we had a hell of a lot in common a lot of respect for each other and even got choked up about some topics because I tend to talk to everybody on the plane. I'm, I'm that person, you know? And, and then I thought, oh gosh, if I tell them who I am, they might not want to be my friend. I'm like 50 years old and I'm still like, oh no. But I had to do that to protect them. And um, I hope to talk to them again. And if not, then, then so be it. But it is sad, but I do think it's the right thing to do for people that we care about. You know, I, I, I do. What do you want to do next? Uh, I want to have my own show on a streaming platform. Any network you go to on a full-time basis, um, I feel like you're going to have similar problems. The way that most of them are run is similar. If, the pandemic comes back again, round two, which it feels like it's coming, um, and the mandates. These corporations are probably gonna do the same thing they did before. And this time, I'm not putting anything in my body that I don't want to. So I don't know what that means. I'm having some awesome discussions right now. I'm learning so much about this side of the industry that I never had to. And it's interesting timing. Like I said, my youngest is a senior in high school. Um, I have no ties to the state of Connecticut otherwise, get her through and then move and figure things out, but be really flexible. But for the first time, be able to have conversations like this, which is, it's so unique and it's a blessing and it's starting from scratch. And I'm not an entrepreneur, like I don't understand that. But you know what, this is the cool part. And my parents and I talk about this a lot recently. Um, I mean, I've done some things in the last several years that I never had dreamt of. I told Jimmy Pitaro and Norby and John Skipper and all those people years ago, I want to die here. As an army kid, I've never had like a permanent home. And so for the first time ever, 
I felt like I did, you know? And that, that was hard. I think that was the hardest part to make the decision to stand up because I knew that that was going to therefore end it again. Um, but in, in taking that chance and making that decision, um, you know, I, I proved a lot to myself that my morals and values are more important to me than anything. Um, and I'm far from perfect, super imperfect, and own that. But like, when it comes down to it, I could no longer look at myself in the mirror, and most importantly, my kids. If I'm telling them to stand up and to be tall and to be strong, and then I hit under the table because it got uncomfortable and because it was expensive and scary, then I'm a total hypocrite. My son, Jason, when I told the kids the night before the, the, the lawsuit dropped, I went to each room separately. My oldest daughter was at college and called her separately. And my son, who's kind of the quieter observant in between two crazy sisters, um, it's a big strapping kid, 6'4", and just the kindest soul. And I was nervous to tell them, listen, this is what's coming tomorrow, and I don't want you to feel the need to defend me. Um, I'm just your mom. But if someone asks, because teachers had even given them a hard time about it, I was livid, Jason. Oh, another day. I said, you don't have to agree with me but, but, or defend me, but just say if someone asks, my mom has opinions and she has a right to those just like you do. That's it. And I told my son and he looked at me, he stopped what he was doing. He goes, mom, it's about time you stood up for yourself. So when he said it, and he's, again, he doesn't say much, I knew that I had to because they'd heard me preach it but not practice it in a public way then. Who's the sellout then? It's nothing to do with this color of my skin. It's about how I live my life, you know? So I did it also for my kids. Therefore, to finally answer your question, I'm sorry, is um, I proved that I could take chances. And I believed in myself and to stand up, even when it was freaking so scary. Um, so am I going to backtrack now and go back into a potential situation where at some point I'm not going to be good enough? I'm going to piss them off too? I feel the need to continue to take that chance on myself as I have recently and try something on my own and have true teammates, true teammates to do this with me and have tough conversations and lead with kindness, honesty and truth but I think you can do that and be kind. For me, that's a priority. You want to talk about sports or politics or a hybrid or what? All of it. I have a lot of things to talk about. I, my passion sitting with you yesterday with, for the football talk, like I haven't done that in a long time. I haven't been on TV in a while now. I don't have to stay up on that stuff anymore. Even though I always loved it, it was a, an honor and a privilege. I love that, and I'm good at that. I can talk about that, you know, any sport. Bring it, Sports Center for all those years. Are you kidding me? I can go. I can go talk about any of it. Um, and I think the race conversation that we just had is beyond important, so much more important than the sports stuff. And to let go of the fear of being vulnerable about being divorced after 20 years of marriage, 27 years together with my first boyfriend, devastating. Starting over at 50? Are you single at 50? What? Like, well, I don't know what to do. My 21-year-old daughter is like, here, here, mom, let me give you some advice. Don't text back right away, mom. That's not how you do it. I'm like, oh my gosh, I don't know how to do this. My daughter is telling me. So I'm okay being vulnerable about all the, those things. And every time that I've chosen to be open about things, it's come back to me tenfold because it helps other people realize that they're not alone. Whether it is about 
starting over, you know, in my personal life um, as a mother or being biracial. And the amount of people who've come back and said, oh my gosh, thank you. Talks I've given where it turned into that unintentionally through a, a panel that I was moderating. And then I had a line of people for an hour and a half, many of them black girls, white girls, biracial kids coming up to me saying, crying, saying thank you. No one else has talked about this and it's scary as a 16 year old kid. Like what a gift that I get from them by sharing and then maybe they won't take till they're 50 to have the courage to say, I'm not doing this anymore. I'm not gonna be quiet just because I'm different. I don't want people to wait as long as I did, including my, most importantly, my kids, to be comfortable with who they are and to stand up for others along the way too. It took me too long. And so I gotta go. I gotta talk about this stuff and try to make a little bit of a difference. And most importantly right now, I have so much peace because I know that I, I, I did it um, and, and chose to, to address it. And my parents put them through a lot and I am so sorry for that. Um, but I don't think they've ever been more proud because I said enough. Is, is there someone out there, uh, you know, that's, Megan Kelly would be a, a, a good example of having to go through the transition year. She's been great. As, We've talked yeah. a few times because she's been awesome. Um, and we, we had the same attorney through when she went through yes, her we stuff. We all have the same. <laughs> we all have the greatest attorney. He is the, He's the best. He's the Johnny Cochran of settlements. <laughs> and he is savage because yeah. he, and he doesn't even look at the person initially. Now he does. And yeah. now he's my person forever. He's such a good soul. And he loves me for me. And I love him for him and his family. Um, but let me stop for one second. I, I want to stop. You. I want to say to anybody watching, <laughs> if you're going through a difficult negotiation with a television network or anybody, <laughs> call Brian Friedman. <laughs> I'm just, he's Tucker's attorney right yeah, now. Yeah, uh, I mean, d listen, it, he, and he's very diverse. Tucker Carlson, Chris Cuomo, Don yeah. Lemon. Yeah. He did Chris yeah. Harrison from The Bachelor, one yeah. of my best friends. Chris introduced me to Brian. Oh, is that right? Yeah. yeah. He no. got canceled, too, for saying nothing. Yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> Brian is a beast. So, Brian, there's your commercial. Uh, so, <laughs> Megan's helping. Megan's, Megan's helping tremendously um, just to learn and to put me in contact with some of the right people um, to, to figure this out. Because I don't know. I need to learn a lot. I've never been an entrepreneur. And, and I'm about to ask something very gossipy and inappropriate, <laughs> uh, but I'm going to do it because that's Cause who you're I Jason. am. Uh, yeah, that's who I am. I would have to think, since we just celebrated Brian and I know how good he is, you got a good settlement, I would have to think. Are you waiting for, is that a, yeah, that's, is that a that, question? It's a statement that requires a, some sort of, of, of uh, yeah, I did, Jason. <laughs> I honestly, it, it, and I'm not just saying this, it does not, it doesn't matter. Guess what? I'm able to be here and to talk to you. How many years have we been waiting to talk? Been a while. The, I, I, I'm sorry, I'm going to go back to it again because I, two people have had ESPN over the barrel in the last two years. Who's the other one? Rachel Nichols. And I hope she took them to the cleaners. That situation broke my heart for her. I was wrong. Yeah. They know it. I yes. was wrong. She had him over a barrel. And I hope, I, I, I would have I, to. I don't know. 
I don't know. I don't know who her attorney was. I, I don't know. I haven't talked to Rachel in a long time. I love seeing what Rachel's doing right now. And she's coming back. That girl is a fighter. Could you imagine? I mean, seriously, though. She's having a private conversation with a friend. Says nothing harmful. Nothing disrespectful. Oh. And she's the bad person. And not only just the bad person, she's the racist person. And she gets run she out of her job. She said nothing racist. Yes, I know. Nothing. People are making it into race because it's convenient right now. And look how that all turned out. It is wrong what happened to Rachel. And I, by the way, it doesn't matter. I'm not talking about Rachel as a person or anything. This is the situation. It is not racist to be protective of your job yes. and to be potentially moved out for other reasons, yeah. diverse diversity reasons. Um, so I, I wrote Rachel a couple times during her situation and, you know, praying for you. You stay strong, girl. And just know from a distance, I'm, I'm supporting you because um, people can say what they want about Rachel and, and I don't know how she does her job, whatever. I thought she was such a thorough journalist and whatever else I don't care about. This situation, um, she's not a racist. It was criminal. It's what, awful. What, what, and, and, and I think that can people actually look themselves in the mirror after after some of those accusations and and you know and again you go back to leadership leadership stuff and it's like it didn't have to even get to that point. It, it and that so do you think and I don't know so I, I don't have an answer to this and I, it's not a loaded question but but I also I look back I look at Rachel I look at what happened to you and I look at the way. L. Duncan and Jamel Hill and uh, even Maria Taylor or whatever, how they, is there a particular level of viciousness that's maybe a little bit, and I don't know the answer, so this isn't a loaded question, with female on-air talent, is the politics behind that perhaps a bit more vicious than um, everybody else experiences? I, I think... Uh Yes. And I also think that some of it is not an accident um, from decision makers. Um, there's a lot of pitting against each other unnecessarily. And you have to just weed through it and try to do your best as a, as a teammate. And, um, uh, but, you know, quite often, I think, and my mother told me this years ago when I started at ESPN, and there were a couple of women who are no longer there who, you know, just not very supportive. Um, and I came in, my kids were 11 months old, two and four. They're now 17, 19, and 21. So it's their whole life, right? But I was this really, you know, young mom coming to this huge stage and just scared to death. And there was, they were not helping me out. Um, I remember talking to my mom one day and it was, someone had said something on air, a female anchor with me, and I was devastated. And I thought, well, who does that? And my mom said, listen, that, that hurts. She said, but guess what? That actually has nothing to do with you. That's their own insecurity their own issue, and you happen to be the person in front of them, and maybe in their way of what they really want or what they need to feel relevant or whatever. And so once I got that through my head, that yes, the stuff to me, against me that they said or did, especially social media and my peers at the network that was allowed, that was personal. But the only way someone is actually doing that and taking that much effort to go and think of something that they think is clever to say or to show everybody, look how I shut her down or I showed her. That's somebody who's lacking something in their life. Some sort of pain. Some, you know, again, you try not to look at like the act itself, but the why behind it. And it's actually helped me a lot. 
it's actually not about me. It's something in themselves that they don't like about themselves or something that, that happened that makes them hateful and insecure. So there's a power in that for me to know that, go ahead, rip on me all you want. You can go, listen, that's a lot of the former ESPNers going on CNN and MSNBC and all their platforms and killing me, women. Honestly, if that makes you happy, go for it. I knew who I am. My teammates knew who I was there. Um, and my parents, my friends, God, they, they know who I am. And that's on you if you want to lead with hate. So I have seen you and Samantha Ponder supporting each other. And, and she looks kind of like the last woman standing. Yeah. Is, is, you think she'll be okay? Maybe she's in a power position because... She is the last woman standing, or the last uh, well, the, rational The only woman one right, right now, <laughs> male or female, with, with the courage. And she's spoken out in support of Riley Gaines and the whole transgender movement in women's sports, and it, it, it took a pair, but do you think she'll be okay there? Uh, there, wherever Samantha Ponder is completely underestimated and unappreciated talent-wise throughout the industry, I think. Um, she is brilliant, Jason. When I say sm there's smart and then there's brilliant. And you would love to have a conversation with her about life. I'd like life. to coach her up, actually. About life. And I would like, there's a couple things, that, you know, when Randy Moss is crying on air. <laughs> again, she, again, no, but Jason, we're all in a tough position. You can't, you know there's a time and place for a conversation with Randy Moss or anybody else. And it's no, not no, on NFL it. Countdown. It's not in the middle of live TV because then you're making it about, you know, so I agree, but, but she, that's a tough spot. Just like, when yeah. I, just like when I was on NBA Countdown with Bill Simmons and Jalen Rose and Doug Collins. Are you kidding me? Like, so, so no, I'm talking about Sam as a human being, as a strong, highly educated woman on the stuff that's going on in our society right now. So that woman will be more than fine at ESPN or elsewhere. She will be great because she has knowledge, she has strength, and she has, she has courage. She has faith. She has courage. She is led by her faith as well. Yeah. She has courage and she knows, because at the end of the day with these hot topics, like this, this isn't a, an opinion. This is science and this is right and wrong with that topic in particular with transgender and, and, and that issue in sports. This is science, guys. So she has facts on her side with this topic in particular. And go ahead, try to have an argument with her. You'll lose. You'll lose. She's, she's special. Uh. Was there something you wanted me to ask that I didn't ask? Me? Yeah. You asking me that? Yeah, I'm asking you. Is there something that I sh should ask you that I haven't asked? Did we? I think we. I, I think we did. I think. Um, I think the race stuff is must continue to be discussed, and um, as in the black community, I feel like. Right now, the hypocrisy is thick. And um, it's not going to get any better if we don't start with ourselves. And to stop tearing others down because they don't think the same way that you do. Um, again, I think it's fascinating. It does not happen in other cultures like this. We don't see that in, in the white community, and obviously some differences, or in the Hispanic community, or in the Asian community. In America. I don't think it's about not thinking the way that you do. I think it's 
not thinking the way you're supposed to. Because I don't think any of your positions. Supposed really to. Any according of, to whom? Right? According to whoever. That's what I'm saying. they want favor from or whoever they think controls their purse strings or. Because it, 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 I don't think any of our opinions are all that controversial and no one's really got a problem with it. it it's just like, oh, you're not supposed to think that way. And, and, and but also, just, just quite honestly, uh, too many black people have bought into the race war. They, they think we're in a race war. And this is why this show I'm doing is all about like, no, you're actually in a war with yourself. Yep. And if you can't see that, if you, oh, it's this person or that person, and you're looking for all these other people, no, it's the person in the mirror that you should be at war with and, and trying to correct. And we're out trying to correct everybody else, and we all think it's, it's based on skin color. It's like, well, I got it white. And so you wake up and you say, well, if white people think it's Thursday, I'm going to say it's Saturday. And I'm on, at least I'm not thinking what white people think. That's such a road to destruction and stupidity. It's so irrational. It's so stupid. Yes, it's so. And, and I think they take so many of these examples and and use them and and only believe what they want to believe. You could look at the um, oh gosh, what was the town in Missouri and the and the Michael Brown situation? Ferguson. 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 And that and then it was one way, and we're going to bring Al and Jesse and everybody into town, and then oh, let's get the report back and see actually what he was doing when the officer shot. But we're going to ignore that now, and we're still going to march, or we're going to go on to the next thing until we actually hear the facts and then don't own it. So what happens is you lose, you lose credibility, because there are some things that absolutely are racist and deserve to be discussed and need to be discussed. And then there's others that are not. Maybe it's a misunderstanding. Maybe it's bigger than that or less. But what happens is when everything is race-related or everything is racist, it's that boy who cried wolf. And then you're going to lose the people who actually are really trying to be more sensitive and trying to learn. White people who want to ask the questions. Going back 30 plus years to my high school when those girls just wanted to know. They'd never been around someone like me. But now if you ask the question, you're going to, you might not even have a job. So we say we want everything to be inclusive and be open and accept everybody. But then if someone wants to learn, you shut them down and call them a racist. So we're going backwards. And there has to be some ownership there. And I don't deserve something because of my skin color or my gender. I don't. Go get in there. Go earn it. Affirmative action. No, I don't need favors. I don't. Because that makes it seem like, well, I don't have it up here or here enough to do what that white person does. I do. I absolutely have it. And I mean, you got to make choices though, tough choices and the A word and to be accountable. And people don't like that word. Maybe it's my own military upbringing, but facts, guys. It's not that hard. Uh, we're going to end on that note. Play some tomorrow, and uh, we'll see you next week. Waiting for the countdown, coming off the breakdown, standing in line for freedom. Looking for a breakout, feeling like a standoff, nothing in life like freedom came like a fighter striking like a ladder making all this moves for freedom i want freedom no negotiation my system no relation we all just want to have freedom sitting on the corner never been alone i'm breaking my back for freedom
back We are receiving all the seed when we all wanna be free We want freedom I just want, I wanna be, I just want